everybody. Welcome to the WCBC Podcast. My name is Hunter. My name is Alan. I'm Cody. And we're... <laughs> Come on, man. A little bit of laugh to start it. No, I mean, I'm cool with that. I just didn't expect it uh, to take place. So. Exactly. Uh, but we're here for another week. Uh, we also have our good buddy Eric sitting in with us. You can say hey, Eric. They can hear, they can hear you. So uh, He's sitting in just checking this out. So uh, We're excited to be back. We're really looking forward to going through the gap theory a little bit further today. Um, I know the first episode, I believe, came out last Thursday. Um, so... If you haven't checked it out, please do. Um, that way you can kind of catch up with what we're talking about. Might sound brand new to you. I don't know. But uh, it's very interesting and it's worth talking about. So based off last week, uh, we're going to just kind of carry along. We started going through the gap theory. And so basically, if you don't know what the gap theory is, uh, the gap theory is that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, millions of years went by. Um, and basically, it kind of surrounds the idea that there was a pre-existing society on Earth before Adam and Eve. Now, our last episode, we talked about that uh, one theory is that it was a group of celestial beings, like angels, basically inhabited the Earth. And when Satan, you know, rebelled, right, everything was destroyed, all that stuff, which it's kind of hard to think about and talk about because Jesus said he saw, you know, Satan cast out of heaven. So there's a, there'd have to be a lot of explanation with that. But we also talked about a pre-Adamic uh, generation of humans or life forms um, that existed on earth. And because of disobedience, um, they were completely wiped out and destroyed. And the earth was left just like a ball of water. But we also kind of talked about that death didn't come till sin. So we would have to have a lot of explanation this week, we're going to start going through the points. Um, we are using blueletterbible.org. Arg. Arg. <laughs> and uh, we're using um, Don Stewart. This is just his study of some points that he laid out as he did an explanation of what the gap theory is. Um, I didn't have time to. I also have some resources on this as well that I've written for Bible College that we're going to pull out and kind of look at. Um, and we're just going to talk completely about the gap theory the ins and outs the ideas and then really the things that we don't agree with as watching chapel so let's begin the case for the gap theory all right number one uh, the hebrew conjunction wall which is w a w is how we would see that it's a hebrew conju- conjunction um, gap theories make part of their argument out of the hebrew conjunction wall that begins in Genesis 1-2, and they wish to translate it as but. So they in English, they want to translate that Hebrew conjunction to but. The idea is that there is a contrast between what was stated in Genesis 1-1 and the statement of Genesis 1-2. The author is emphasizing that the earth was created perfect, but something happened to cause that void. So, guys, if we were to look at the text, right? Oh, I got an update. Nice. If we were to look at the text, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth, so when you look at that, what they want to translate that to is instead of, and the earth, they want to change it to, but the earth, so with that changing of one word, it kind of has this idea of like, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, but the earth was out, was without void, right, it was in darkness, right, the Holy Spirit was moving around upon the waters, right? Hovered around. 
And so that kind of changes the whole implementation of the, the verse because it's like, here, let's implant this word, mm-hmm. the conjunction, and completely change the context to make it sound like, well, God created, but something happened, so the earth was void. And so it's like that. the first point of that, it's like, man, okay, that kind of sounds like a, a good idea. I mean, if you read the verse that way, um, you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. That sounds like that could be plausible. But the thing is, is it didn't translate to but. Obviously, it translates to and, which is like, okay, God created and the earth was out Chronological front. order. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of, you know, we believe that creation took place in six days. Mm-hmm. God rests on the seventh. And we believe that it's a literal 24-hour period that God created all things. And so what Cody just said is that also we believe and suggest that it's a chronological thing. Like this happened, this happened, and this see, happened. Yeah, this it was happened. a list of a sequence of events. Kind of like you say, I woke up, then I got out of bed. Then I went to the bathroom. Like it's it's a list in order. Not I woke up. Then yeah, well, you know it's it's different. So with the first point of of gap theorists, that's what they suggest that would make the gap theory real. Okay, number two, uh, the earth became void. So the word translated in Genesis one two is the Hebrew word Hayah, which is H A Y A H. Could be pronouncing that wrong. I want to look at it and say Hayah. Yeah, Alan's doing yeah, karate yeah, over yeah. here, man. Judo hands. So, it's possible to translate as became or had become. So, this is another one. I've heard this one quite a bit. Uh, there, thus, the earth was created perfectly and then became without form and void. The world, though create, could be perfect, became desolate and uninhabitable. What had previously been a perfect world was now ruined. Those who argue for this translation point out that in other places in the creation account... That verb, that Greek word or Hebrew word, is translated became or had become. Hence, the translation of the verb in this manner is consistent within the text of creation and account of Genesis. So, looking at the text, it says the earth was without form. And so, what they'd love to do, someone who is a gap theorist, is they'd love to, instead of saying became or had no form, they want to say it had become or it has become. So, it's kind of like a past tense. They throw it in there, and that suggests, okay, well, something existed, and then something happened, and then it became this. Mm-hmm. So not only is it past tense, but also that's a verb in, in the Hebrew language. So that consists is consistent within the gap theory view that this is how the earth was. This happened, past tense, but verb. So it's an action took place that made the earth without void mm-hmm. and dark. So that's point number two. So, I mean, there's some words. Okay, number three. The Spatugent translation. Um, some advocates of the gap theory point to the Spatugent, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, for support of their translation of that Hayah has became. Okay, uh, The verb occurs 27 times in the first chapter of Genesis. The Greek translators of the Spatugent rendered the word in 20 instances by the Greek word agnito which means became so then not only is the words right word game kind of being played along but they also look at the spatugent who would translate that to had become Uh, number four formless and void genesis 1 2 describes the earth at the time of creation as being without form and void desolate and uninhabitable so hebrew oh man tuha wa bahu are we 
Are we to assume that a perfect God created the world in a chaotic condition? The phrase without form and void seems to require some type of judgment. So like that Hebrew phrase, not going to say it again, is what we translate um, to the phrase without form and void. So with that idea, right? Okay, earth was without form and void and darkness was upon it in the face of the deep. I, I think our minds as humans, when we hear about something being created... And then instantly someone suggests an idea of, okay, no form, no void, and darkness. I think as humans, we kind of hear that and we're like, well, why? Why was it dark? Why was it void? Like, could something have happened? Could something have taken place? Just because as humans, when we hear certain words like that, we kind of jump to that conclusion of like, oh, wow, well, why is it like that? And so that's the idea is like they want to take those two verses, split them apart, but kind of insert the word judgment into that. Because usually when judgment, right, is executed throughout Scripture, things are made without form, things become void, and things are kind of enter into darkness. And so when you look at things like in the Old Testament, for instance, like when God would execute judgment upon something, it would end in a state that was different than what it was. Like, for instance, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God executes judgment. Um, the sons of Korah, you can read that in the book of Numbers, right? The earth opened up and swallowed them, and they all died. So it's like when they insert judgment between these two verses, then, honestly, they can build a pretty good case for the gap theory because what they can do is take a lot of those words, find them in the Old Testament and how they're used, but also the New Testament. And then in a lot of those sequences and those instances, like God is executing judgment, so they can kind of take that, dump it on Genesis 1-2 and Genesis 1-1 and be like, well, this is why we believe in the gap theory. But we have to be careful. I call it word games because word games can, one word can change a whole verse, no doubt. It's like when you're studying and you see a word and you're like, wow, I've never seen this before. This changes everything. That's great. But when you interject a word of translation, you have to be careful. And absolutely, because you can look at society today, and even the uh, uh, media or, or the politics that we have to, you know, <laughs> endure, uh, the rhetoric that is used, it's not directly what they say, but it's the insinuations that allows our mind to just run rampant, and Satan will get in there too, and he'll, he'll use that as his playground, and he'll start... Uh, developing thought process and ideologies that don't even exist and then the uh, whole anxiety and panic and chicken little the sky's falling mm-hmm. <laughs> all ensues after that and <clears throat> that's the reality is like you don't want to manipulate the text no you don't want to try to no. change it and you have to be very careful absolutely um, so with that too alan you know what we're talking about with like the text that brings point number five other passages of scripture and and, and this is a reality and what we're going to do is kind of like look at isaiah 34 we'll look at jeremiah 4 but in addition isaiah 34 11 jeremiah 4 23 and 26 the only other instances the phrase without form and void is used clearly refers to some type of divine judgment hence genesis 1 2 must also be a reference to judgment so like for instance when we look at these verses and i'll read them to you guys 34 11 okay Hold on. But the cormorant and the bittern shall possess it. 
Al also the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out upon it, it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. So it's like that. those words, right, when you look at Hebrew and stuff, they're used there, and it talks about a thing that's made desolate, right, a thing that's made empty. Or like Jeremiah 4, 23 and 26. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of heaven were fled. So it's like, that's a verse, too, that they really use for, like, the gap theory. Mm -hmm. But, like, in context with this, this is anguish over Judah's desolation. So it's kind of like a judgment of desolation that took on that happened with Judah. And this is the whole thing. It's like you have to, and it goes back to what Alan and I were talking about shortly, is you have to be so careful with words, but also context. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, if God's going to make Judah desolate, and it's going to be like a, a place without form and no void, and no heavens, no light, that doesn't literally mean that. That just means that as they're judged... It's figurative. They're going to be a desolate place. Uh-huh. And so it's like, when I read that, and even like, I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled, all the hills. Well, if we're going to add that and take that and apply that to Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, well, I mean, there were no mountains before light. Light came first. So it's kind of like we could get like literal about this. But the whole point of why they use this is because of that without form and without void. So that means that judgment's going to pass on Judah, right? So therefore, Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, judgment had to pass upon someone. And that's why they use that. Not so much for the context of Jeremiah 4, but because of the wording and the example it sets. Now, uh, number 6 is Genesis 1-2 speaks, number 6 is darkness. So this verse speaks of the world in a state of darkness. Darkness is almost always used in Scripture as a sign of sin and judgment. We've established that. Furthermore, God did not say the darkness was good, as he had said about it in Genesis, uh, the light in Genesis 1-3. If God originally created the world in light, then something caused the earth to become dark. I think that's weak, my opinion. I think that's really weak. I really don't think that should be a point on here, um, because if God created everything without the sun yet, then, like, logically, it would be in darkness. It wouldn't be habitable. Yeah, and so that's the thing. It's like, I think they're trying to, like, spiritualize this in a way and make darkness mean something different. But, like, in our interpretation of creation... It's, it's the absence of light. No, yeah, there's there was no, no... sun, moon, yeah, stars, exactly. nothing. Like, if you look in creation science of what they feel like, it, when it says it was dark and formless and without void, it means that... That when God created the heavens of the earth, he created space, time, and matter. And the matter hadn't been formed into what we have now. It said that there was water. There was water on the earth, but it was dark. It was just the raw building blocks of the earth. Like, all water all across dry land hadn't appeared yet. Like, why would he destroy the earth and everybody on it? But it says he brought forth dry land. And there was no atmosphere, the firmament. There was no atmosphere. There was no clouds. There was no sun, moon, and stars. It was just... Everything was created, it was raw matter, and then he fine-tuned yeah. everything. Well, and here's the other thought that I had with this. It's like, you know, darkness was upon the earth, but, like, God is light. Mm-hmm. So, like, God's present, right, in the midst of creation, 
even like the gap theorists, they have to admit like God's in the presence of the recreation as mm-hmm. they would see it. But like, he, he, here's the point. It's like God is light. Now their interpretation of light coming in the world is not the sun. They believed it was like a reference to Jesus. Like light came into the world. But like if God was already pre there, exactly. Then like God is light. He's always so he's always been. The darkness has to be referring to something else is what I'm suggesting. So like if God's there and he is light, then like it's not a spiritual corruption or a judgment that is the darkness is talking about because God's in the midst of his creation. No, it has to be that darkness means that there was no sun. <laughs> There's no light yet because he's not created it and established it. So that's just a point that I thought of. Um, number seven, created and made. According to the gap theory, the original creation was in Genesis 1.1. What happened on the six days of Genesis was not creating, but rather making over. Right? Gap theorists make a distinction between these verbs, bara and asah. The verb bara is used with regard to God creating, while asah means refashioning or made to appear. The new Schofield reference Bible, there he is, C.I. Schofield, says this. Only three creative acts of God are recorded in this chapter. Number one, the heavens and the earth. Number two, animals and life. And number three, human life. The first creative act refers to the dateless past. Neither here, Genesis 1-3, nor in verses 14 and 18 is an original creative act implied. A different word is used. The sense is made to appear made visible. The sun and moon were created in the beginning... The light came from the sun, of course, but the vapor diffused the light. Later, the sun appeared in the unclouded sky. So it's just like there's three different ways that things were created, different words that were used within that. Thank you, Schofield. All right, and then we're going to hit, let's hit number eight, and then we're going to wrap up for today, and we'll finish the rest of them next time. Number eight, not created in vain. Isaiah 45, 18 clearly states that God did not create the world in vain. The Hebrew phrase translated in vain is lo tahu. Tahu is the word translated without form in Genesis 1-2. Thus, if God did create the world in vain, then it seems logical to assume that at some time's point in the earth's past it became desolate, right? Since it is unthinkable that anything chaotic and wasteful could come from a perfect God, we must assume that there was some type of judgment to put the earth in that condition. So it's kind of like, well, God wouldn't make something in darkness and without void because God's perfect. He's better than that. But it's like, again, logically, God created the the earth as a ball of water with no sun, right? With nothing yet. And then he said, let there be light. Oh, here comes the sun, right? I'm not trying to quote the Beatles, but here comes the sun. And it's like, there's no way that we could suggest, like, I, I, I'm for that. Like, God, God is perfect, okay? God is perfected. Now, a perfect creator created the world. Now, th- this goes into a whole thing. Maybe we could do an episode on it just by itself. Was the earth perfect and was Adam and Eve perfect, right? I mean, that's the idea. A perfect God creates a perfect thing. But the reality is, is that those things were able to sin. Mm-hmm. So it's like they couldn't have been perfect. But Adam and Eve and the world were innocent because they had never sinned before. Mm-hmm. So it's like, 
we look at that and it's like people undermine that idea along with the idea of like just a ball of water mm-hmm. sitting in dark. Like God's better than that. Chronologically, when we look at creation, it gives God glory that by a certain you know set of patterns, right? I'm going to do this. 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 God gave us a perfect explanation yep. of how everything started and then what it ended. But we also have to realize this, like God took those literal six days, but we also have to remember that God spoke these things to happen. Mm -hmm. So like to me, it's like, where's the power, the object or the fact that God spoke Mm -hmm. and these things became as so. Now that's pretty neat Mm -hmm. that God could do such a thing. So when we look at this, they're like, well, it's not created in vain. These things are in vain, this and this. And they, they do use words for this, but... As we're going to find out later on when we start going through points that kind of discredit the gap theory, wordplay doesn't help them out at all mm-hmm. because there's no context in the Bible that really supports mm-hmm. or teaches that God did this. Now, I told Alan this a long time ago when C.I. Schofield wrote his references and his commentary. He did not have an Apple computer or cell phone. They studied with what they had. They didn't have the commentators we have or the scholars that we read after today. So my thoughts is C.I. Uh, Schofield, when you read a lot of his commentary in other places, you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. But it seems like that when men write commentary, a lot of times they want to commentate on everything possible for the benefit of others, but also because like, He was a scholar, so like he has ideas, he has opinions, and so in his commentary, he's going to express those. So it seems like, which I told Alan, he probably heard of this idea somewhere, right? But he felt like he had to expound on these texts Mm -hmm. to try to help people. But the reality is, is men's wisdom really never prevails. It never will. And the, the, the thing that really hooks up on me with this is like, I have such a hookup because, or hang up, because it's like, there's no substantial evidence mm-hmm. that can really help this out except for two passages in the Old Testament that can be translated so wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Schofield, not saying he's not a believer. I believe he was. But, like, reality is, it's like, hey, you could have left all this out, especially without evidence to support it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's like church, listeners, wherever you are, whoever you are, He's like, when we read the Bible, you have to let Scripture be Scripture. But one of the first top rules of hermeneutics, which is word study in the Bible, is you let Scripture interpret the Scriptures. So there are so many passages and things in Scriptures that support more of a six-day creation and not a prehistoric society. So it's like if majority supports that, no, Adam and Eve were the first people. The earth was made, not pre-existent then like let majority speak let majority be true why because let god be true and every man be a liar this is his word so it's like i'm not going to settle for minority view or like the minimal view or like this few passages talk about this no i want to search the scriptures rightly divide them exactly and then i'm going to let the majority of bible determine the truth of what this part of the bible is talking about exactly so that's the thing about the gap theory and you all are going to hear this a lot from us it's just like we want the bible to speak we want Bible to be true. 
And I think through this series that we're doing about the gap theory, I think you're going to see truth, and I think you're going to agree with us and how we end in our opinions. So, guys, with that, we're going to stop on number eight. Next week, we'll pick up on number nine. Do you all have any final comments you'd like to add? God bless. God bless. All right, we love y'all. We're thankful for you guys, and we'll see you next time on the WCBC Podcast.